Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and we are on episode 37. We have a great guest coming up, Tony Luca. Uh, Tony is a musician, uh, but also has been an actor, and uh, so he's, a, he's an artist all around. Um, and I was able to catch up with him just a few weeks ago when he was here in Orlando um, playing uh, at the House of Blues, uh, opening up for one of my favorite artists, Johnny Lang. So we're going to hear more from uh, Tony in just a few minutes. Just wanted to thank you for listening, and uh, don't forget to uh, like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. You can find everything at the Agents of Innovation uh, website at agentsofinnovation.org. So uh, check in with us there. I want to give a special shout out to my buddy Ryan Chambers for liking, not just liking and subscribing, but giving us a review on iTunes uh, recently. So thank you. Um, I want to just uh, give another shout out to everybody out there that's, uh, that's given us a review uh, over time and also a request. If you haven't uh, done a review yet on iTunes. Uh, we'd love to get the full five stars, but also, um, you know, just uh, any kind of review is great because it moves us up in the uh, rankings and gets, uh, gets us more notoriety and allows more people to listen. So thank you so much uh, for being with us on the Agents of Innovation podcast. And now let's get to our interview. Well, we're here with uh, Tony Luca, who has joined us for the Agents of Innovation podcast. Uh, thank you, Tony, for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, we're sitting here at the uh, House of Blues in uh, Disney Springs in Orlando, and um, or technically Lake Buena Vista. Um, and so just wanted to uh, thank you. I know you're opening for Johnny Lang, and you've been on a tour uh, with Johnny Lang. How's that going so far? Uh, so far, so good. Uh, really good, actually. Um, it's just been a treat to play for his fans. They're really, uh, they really get what he does, and, and he and I, I guess, aren't, aren't that far apart, you know, in terms of where we're coming from as artists and uh, a bit of a soul and blues factor into our music. Um, you know, I'm up there with just an acoustic, so that's, that's the major difference between he and his band, but uh, but as far as coming out and really being able to make the most of, of, of 40 minutes, you know, I've, I've had plenty of time to be up there and, and connect with his fans, and and they're uh, they're they're kind of showing the love out at the merch table after the mess set. So I'm not uh, I'm not complaining, man. It's been fantastic. Well, Tony, I know you come from a family of musicians. Uh, you grew up in Michigan. You uh, you did uh, some music, some acting uh, throughout the course of your life, and uh, but uh, and then you. Uh, you actually were um, on the Mickey Mouse Club, and so we're, since we're here at Disney, I wanted to mention that. Um, but tell me a little bit about your early childhood and um, and and how uh, you know that that impacted the beginning of your career. Yeah, man. Uh, my mom was the tenth of twelve kids, and uh, they all sang and or played something, uh, and and most of them to various degrees of uh, professionalism. You know, had careers at it. A lot of blue collar <laughs> careers, but uh, you know some of them had had some brushes with with fame and whatnot. Um, but early on, like I would say, like eight or nine, ten years old, maybe uh, me and a cousin of mine who also kind of got bit by the bug. You know, we started digging in real early and and learning how to play and sing and getting up in front of crowds to play, um, and it kind of became 
abundantly apparent, or you know, pretty early on that we were going to be torchbearers of the family trade. And so, um, yeah, I guess you know, by that point, it, it was just as, it was a matter of it wasn't a matter of if; it was just a matter of when and how big or how far we might take it. You know, but uh, um, yeah, I got got paid to play my first gig. I think when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> you know, and so that. That puts me at three decades of, of kind of getting paid to do what yeah. I do. Well, uh, and then, uh, so, you, you know, you, uh, when did you really pick up the music? You, you did, a, you know, like I said, you, you did some TV, some commercials, uh, some, some television shows, uh, and then you decided you were going to go and do music full time. And, and what were you, 13 or something? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I did, um, I, the, the music thing is what brought me to the party and, I guess by party, I mean auditioning for the Mickey Mouse Club when I was 15. I, I came in predominantly as a singer uh, and then, you know, kind of developed dancing and, and, and acting along the way. Um, so, you know, while we were on the show, we got to do a bit of everything, which was great. Uh, so after Mouse Club was canceled, I moved out to L.A. to pursue whatever, you know, the industry at large. Um, and uh, But I had a little more momentum with the film and television stuff. I had a manager and an agent and a commercial agent uh, that would get me out on auditions, you know, daily. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I just kind of went with the flow, so to speak. Um, but then there was a turning, kind of a turning point where I realized, like, you know what, this is, this is someone else's party, you know? Like, I, I enjoyed acting. I enjoyed being a part of the collaborative process that is, you know, production and whatnot. But, um, but I wasn't in love with it, and I had too many other friends that were out there slaving away trying to get roles and auditioning, you know, all the time, that uh, that I was taking jobs away from, you know. Yeah. And it was like that—that's not fair, uh, you know. But also realizing, like, you have to—if you want to have a credible music career, you have to establish yourself as a musician artist first, and then you can cross back over to film and television. If you're uh, a film and television star first, good luck. You know, there's a weird duality there. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, I don't know. Um, well, the standard, I guess. Yeah. Well, speaking of that crossover, so you put out a number of albums over the years, and then in uh, what was it, 2012, you went on to uh, The Voice, and uh, I, I know you ended up being the second runner-up there uh, for that series. Tell us a little bit about that experience, and maybe what came out after that. Yeah, it's crazy, man. The voice is, you know, that's, that's a real gauntlet. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a chance of a lifetime kind of thing. But, you know, making it to the finals was, was like kind of a small marathon. You know, it was a lot of fun. I learned some invaluable insight from Adam. He was really cool. Um, from all of them, really, you know. There was a lot of takeaway there. Um, but, you know, reality is, is a loose term uh, in reality television. Um, and I wasn't naive to that either. Uh, it was really cool to kind of just get back in a soundstage and being on, on stage in front of an, an audience, you know, that was all very familiar terrain for me. Um, so, yeah, that was enjoyable. But, um, you know, afterwards, it, uh, it, it had the desired effect for the most part, you know, like I, I, I kind of reached a plateau as an independent artist, you know, playing for 75 to 150 people a night, you know. After The Voice, it went from, you know, 175 to 300 people a night, and and that was cool. I was like, all right, shoot, this is great. Made a lot of new fans, and um, 
uh, again, learned, learned a ton. But also, you know, I got to sign to Adam Levine's label, and he wound up taking me out on tour with Maroon 5 and Kelly Clarkson. And uh, I made an EP that went out un under his label before his label kind of folded into a larger entity, and they let me go, which is all sort of standard uh, music business 101 kind of stuff. But, uh, but great experience, man. Really, like I said, chance of a lifetime. So I guess you would probably say based on some of that experience that really got you like a lot more national attention for the music you're doing now. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I had been I had been at it for a long time, uh, touring coast to coast and developing a, a national fan base, and so do, taking time to, to go do the voice was really like I don't say a detour, but yeah, it was a wayside, you know. And uh, uh, so afterwards, it was just a matter of getting back to work and and you know putting records out again and uh, and and pounding the pavement and seeing who was out there fan wise. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, definitely walking through the airport and people see the hat or something. Oh, Tony, look, I voted for you. Like, all right, um, thank you. Yeah, you do have that standard hat which you're wearing right now. Um, that, but uh, you know, we've actually had two artists on this uh, podcast uh, that have also been on The Voice. You may know them: Paul Fowl and Jordy Searcy, both of Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Where, well, they're now of Nashville, Tennessee. They both come from different places, like you. And you're in Nashville now. So tell us a little bit about that music scene in Nashville. Yeah, someone always once told me years ago, like if you want to be a ski instructor, you got to go where the snow is. You know, if you want to write songs, get your butt to Nashville. And so it, Nashville was always on the horizon for me as a songwriter. I knew eventually I would grow and mature to where I could go down there and hold my own and 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 make a name for myself and ideally some money. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it was a matter of making sure it was the right thing for my family, too. You know, i got a wife and kids now, and so um, they fell in love with the city. We've been there for four and a half years now, and it's going really well, you know. I, I, I write three to five days a week when I'm home uh, and other co-writes with other great writers in town. Uh, play shows occasionally here and there while I'm in town, but, uh, you know, just in between seasonal touring in the spring and fall, usually I get out and hit the, hit the road for a week or two at a time. Um, and uh, yeah, just to be amongst all that talent and and inspiration is is man, it's, you can't put a price tag on it. Well, it seems like you've been around a lot of talent, and inspiration most of your life. Uh, I wanted to ask you about a couple of your uh, what I would call maybe mega famous friends. Mm -hmm. uh, a few that I think maybe you've known since the Mickey Mouse Club days: Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears. Uh, you mentioned Adam Levine. Uh, tell me uh, a little bit more about kind of uh, what it's like to you know, have known uh, those folks uh, for so long and, and, and seeing their talent rise and how it's kind of inspired you. Yeah, I, you know, I got to say, it's, it's like um, watching, watching Justin climb to the top of the, the mountain has been really fun and I'm really proud of him. And I just, every time he comes out and re redefines himself and reimagines the whole landscape for everybody, I, it's, it's been really exciting to just to know him, to be able to shoot him an email and say, dude, like, like last night, literally, funny you're asking, I, I saw his new video, and I was just like, man, shot him an email. I said, dude, that's so good and amazing and imaginative. And kudos. And he fires right back. Dude, thank you. Hope you're well, you know. And uh, I, saw a, I saw, I think it was a couple years ago, I just saw him tweet out a link to your album or something. I thought, that's pretty cool. It's got, it's got to be nice to have a friend like that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, you know. Um, you, you know, he had asked me back in, I think, 2011, maybe, uh, he called me out of the blue to see if I wanted to star in a um, commercial he was directing for his tequila company, and 
And uh, and that threw me for a loop because I'm like, why are you calling me, man? What was Johnny Depp doing? <laughs> you know, what are you doing? <laughs> why don't you, you know? And uh, and that he was looking to work with someone that he was familiar with, that he had shorthand with. And it was cool to think, like, even after all these years of not being in touch, not working together, that he would uh, look back and, and regard me as someone that he's got shorthand with. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, Tony, you've uh, you've been in the artist world uh, pretty much your whole life. Uh if you had to do some kind of work outside of art, what would you consider doing? I've, I've considered uh, uh, therapy, like either um, you know, becoming a, a, a mental therapist, you know, a, a psychologist of some kind who was really into psychology coming up. Um, massage therapy, actually. <laughs> I've considered that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I was really into, uh, I've been getting into a lot of, um, you know, holistic uh, healing work and, and different things and meditation. And uh, um, I've started doing uh, guest lecturing at colleges and stuff now and talking to kids about longevity in the business and uh, by way of fulfillment, you know, following your, your passion through, uh, through fulfillment. It's been cool. Yeah, so tell me, what is some of the advice that you give to people? You know, I mean, this podcast, The Agents of Innovation, we, you know, interview not just artists, but also entrepreneurs and philanthropists. And really, one of the reasons I helped start this was just because I meet so many different interesting Mm. people. I come across that just, hey, other people can learn from other inspiring people around them. Uh, So it sounds like you're helping young people learn from somebody like you who's seen a lot and uh, has a lot of experience. What is some of the advice you might pass on to young uh, people today? Well, I kind of walk them through my timeline, you know, and the, the crossroads that I arrived at time and again and went left instead of right, you know, and, and why and how and choices you make and the ups and downs of it all. But but to, um, you know, find that, I always encourage kids to find that, that balance between passionately following your dreams like you hear in every affirmational, you know, slogan out there. That that stuff is real, you know, and that's how it works. You visualize what you want and you get after it. But if you want to be taken seriously, you know, in a viable capacity, you know, like you really want to make this your business, your living, um, finding a source of accountability and, and someone who can who you respect and, and who has your best interest at heart uh, that is willing to give you honest, constructive criticism and not just surround yourself with yes men and, and people that are, you know, your folks who are just going to love whatever you do. You know, you got to have someone there to sort of lend a, a, a constructively critical ear to say, yeah, maybe a little less of that. Or, you know, what you did there was really great. You need to do more of that because that, that's coming from an honest place, whatever it is. And, uh, and that's not always easy. You know, like if I look back at my career and why maybe things didn't take off sooner or bigger or whatever, I... I would attribute a lot of it to that, you know, that I, I did. I did shy away from people who might tell me my songs weren't great. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't need to hear that. I didn't right. want to hear that, you know. So I produced my own records and made sure no one wanted to come in and deconstruct my stuff. And, um, you know, definitely in hindsight, that's that. life's too short, man. Like, get it right. And, and, and uh, you know, trust trust people that have been there and have seen it, that have a, a, a creative uh, capacity to share with. Yeah, and a little bit related to that, um, this might get a little more personal now, but what, what, knowing what you know now, uh, what advice would you give to the young Tony? Mm-hmm. Probably the advice I just gave you, you know, like, yeah, man, listen, 
don't think that any one opportunity is is everything, you know, because it's not. It's just a, it's it's just a step in a direction. It might not be the right direction. It might be the exact direction, you know, but it, it, you can't put too much pressure or or you know uh, anticipation or, um, on any one opportunity. That being said. Find the stepping stones and plant your foot squarely on them, you know, own them. Take those moments and really get after it. Don't half-step. Be, be, be present and take pride in what you do. Good, good. Well, uh, Tony, uh, I know you also you mentioned uh, you have a wife and two kids back in Nashville. Um, what is it like to be a parent and have to be on the road so much? Man, it, that never gets easier. You think as, as kids get older, they get more self-sufficient and independent and that you can come and go. But uh, I, I find the opposite to be true, you know. It was easier when they were real little and they kind of didn't notice the coming and going or weren't as aware of the, the duration of time that I was gone. Now, you know, I've got a 15-year-old and an 8-year-old and they both need me there, you know. They need, you definitely feel like the, the responsibility of being a parent and a dad and, and and how important that is for them to have around especially my son 15 you know yeah. like that's as a dad you don't want to steer too far away from uh you gotta keep your eye on the prize yeah yeah well uh a couple last questions tony um one uh if i know you've toured with a lot of different artists maybe you can mention some of your favorites that you've toured with but um in addition to that um if you could tour with any act dead or alive uh, who would be your, your favorite to do that? Wow, man. Yeah, I would love to... Uh, I'd love to have taken my band out opening for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. You know, like that would have been a dream. I'd been, literally, I could dream every night watching watching Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers play. Um, and I'd love to appeal to the, his, his crowd, his fans, the greatest fans. Um, I don't know. I think it'd be cool to kind of go out on a go go back in time and go out on a, a singer songwriter folk tour with uh, with Joni Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Maybe fall in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> Have some you know love children. Um, no, I, I uh, yeah I've enjoyed being out with Sarah Bareilles. I got the tour with her years ago, and she's a fantastic boss. She's a really good like band leader and and owner of, of her operation and uh, really garners the respect from her band and her crew and she's just so insanely talented. Uh, really enjoying Johnny and his crew and his band. I mean these shows he's been battling like a, a 102, 103 fever for like the last four or five oh, days. The, sorry to hear the that. Flu. And I'll talk to him before his set and I'll be like oh god, oh no. Fingers crossed for you, buddy. And then he'll go out there and just slay it. And you're just like, oh, my God, what are you made of, man? What's coming out of you, dude? I, I think tonight, I can't, I've tried to keep track. I've seen him so many times since about 1997. I think this might be 22 shows. Holy He's cow. one of my favorite artists. People on this podcast have probably heard me talk about him before. But uh, every time you see him, it's like he's in another world, you know, like when he's playing. It's like, and you're just there witnessing it, you know. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine, but boy, I, I don't know how you can do 102 fever. Yeah, I don't either, man. I know when I'm not feeling well, it's, it's you know, the show must go on kind of mm -hmm. thing, and you do find yourself pulling from places that you didn't know existed, and, and a lot of it, like, 
like two nights ago, he, he, was, he was great, phenomenal show, but the crowd wasn't as excited as last night. And last night before the show, I thought he was dead. I thought he was just like going to die. And he got out there, and that crowd was so um, alive that it was as if he, he didn't have a, a sore throat or fever or nothing. Like he just fed off of that crowd. And, uh, and that was where in St. Pete? I was in St. Petersburg, yeah, and yeah. he crushed it last night. It was it was awe inspiring how how amazing he was, with or without a fever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I have a question here um, that I uh, you know somebody um, wanted me to ask you. Okay. And they said if you could produce any musician other than J.D. Iker, of course, uh, who would you want to produce? <laughs> oh, good question, man. I think Steve Everett maybe asked that. Maybe it was J.D. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to get my hands on, on a, on like a Bieber or a Timberlake, you know, and do some kind of like real classic rock sounding thing, you know. Um, to totally turn another page, uh, I, I used to imagine trying to write and produce a. Uh, this might date myself, but uh, producing, writing and producing a duo with Seal and Sade. <laughs> I think that'd be an incredible combo. Like Michael McDonald and Michael McDonald, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell the voices apart. Well, Tony, uh, I want to thank you for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. I know you, um, are you, uh, did you just have a recent album out? Anything you want to talk about regarding your music? Yeah, nothing right away. I mean, I've been working on a side project with my friends Jay Nash and Matt Duke. We have a project called TFDI. We put out two EPs this year, and both of them went to number one on the iTunes singer-songwriter wow, chart, which is pretty pretty exciting. Thanks. Uh, and we've been enjoying making that music together. Uh, but I'm getting ready to make a new record now uh, in Nashville this year, which I'm pretty excited about because it's been a few years for me. And it's, it's, it's good to feel the compulsion once again that it's, it's time to get back in and, and put some ideas to tape and, and walk out with some songs. And Tony, um, at the end of this uh, episode, we're going to play one of your songs. Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about what song we're about to hear? Uh, yeah, man, this one was written while I was staying at a hotel in Los Angeles, waiting to get the green light to go into the studio and work on the record that I went out there to make. And uh, the label was, was being fussy about which songs we were going to record, which ones we weren't. And I was getting crazy stir crazy about it so i would just go back to my hotel each night and write more songs <laughs> and, so, wow. and so this uh this one was was written while i was waiting on a label to to approve what i was up to which was a first for me i'd never been at the mercy of a label like that but uh it's called smoke em. good well we wish you uh the best with that and also with the rest of this tour with johnny and uh, the rest of this year and uh thank you for being on the agents of innovation podcast thank you so much for having me So I sit here Between the laps that I've been running Trying to catch my breath Without falling behind There's a ticking It's the clock hanging on the wall I hear it laughing Says I'm running out of time they smoke them if you got them Drink to the bottom of another fine spirit, my friend Don't give up on love It's bound to turn up again 
You got 'em. Drink to the bottom of another. 